Hello, my name is Daniel Nenny, founder of SemiWiki, the open forum for semiconductor professionals. Welcome to the Semiconductor Insiders podcast series. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please post it on semiwiki.com and we'll get right to it. My guests today are Priyank Shukla of Synopsys and Kent Lusted of Intel. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So the first question I like to ask is what originally brought you to the semiconductor industry? Was it a childhood dream or did your parents force you to do it? Uh, Kent, can you start? Yes, Daniel. My first experience with semiconductors started in high school. I was an intern at a small office of Cray Research in Atlanta, Georgia area. And I was hired there because my neighbor was the director of sales. He also happened to be my scoutmaster. So as a result of my involvement in the Boy Scouts of America program, uh, my scoutmaster provided me with an opportunity to get involved in semiconductors and have been in high tech since then. Oh, great research. There's a lot of history there. Um, so what do you do at Intel, Kent? At Intel, I'm an Ethernet Phi standards advisor. My job is to participate in the relevant Ethernet specifications, uh, take the technology and the learnings and apply them to our products and help shape industry for the direction of my employer. Great. And Priyak, welcome back. Um, can you remind uh, the listeners what you do at Synopsys? Sure. I am product manager for high-speed SODIS IPs at Synopsys. So I define the roadmap for the next generation of Ethernet and PCI SODIS. So Ken, first question, um, defining the next generation Ethernet ecosystem, I mean, how does that come about? You know, is, is there a place where all the smart people in the world sit together and decide what the standard should be? I mean, it, it's hard to imagine how this is done considering, you know, all the different special interests and trade-offs. Uh, so you, can you tell us a little bit more about how this works? Yes, great question. And I find it particularly interesting because we are talking about Ethernet and it is Ethernet that is connecting us at this very moment. <laughs> so a bit right. of a, a circular piece there. And do we sit together in a resort? No, it's normally not anything quite that nice. But we do all come together to bring the standards uh, across industry and into fruition. And when we talk about Ethernet, I'll be talking and framing my perspective through the IEEE 802.3 process specifically. And there's other industry groups that follow a very similar process, uh, may use different terms, techniques, a little bit different rules, but it follows the same basic flow. And when we talk about Ethernet specifically, we have to realize that there's a uh, a base specification, and this is IEEE 802.3 base specification is recently published in 2022. And this giant document over 7,000 pages is an unabridged document of all the different physical ethernet specifications, twisted pair, high-speed serial, mode of power over ethernet, just to name a few. There's a whole bunch of these things. And this is ethernet as it stands today. And when we go about discussing and defining the next generation, we do that through the development of amendments. And amendments are documents that are 
written with the changes to the base specification. And those changes could be whether we're adding new clauses, uh, also known as chapters, or we're modifying existing ones, whether we're changing words or adding new tables and modes. It really depends on the project. And these amendments then highlight from the base specification what we're doing. But let's talk about the development. And, and how do we actually get to def bringing uh, industry together and, and defining this next generation Ethernet? Well, the development process is very simply described as a big funnel, a funnel process very similar to what is done in product development, where there's three distinct phases. The first phase is sketch together a concept, build some consensus, going into the second stage to actually develop the requirements and write them down, and then the third phase of actually going and making it. And we followed this same funnel process in the standard, at least in IEEE. We go through the early sketch a concept, what we call loosely birds of a feather, getting people together, brainstorming on ideas, and then it progresses into a task, excuse me, into a study group. And from a study group, it then moves into a task force where we actually write the specification. In the birds of a feather early concept space, we start with an idea. People talk it over, discuss it, get inputs, and decide whether there's enough interest to move forward on this topic. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes more often than not, the answer is yes. And through this process, uh, the output in the IEEE flow is a CFI, what's called a call for interest, which is a contribution put together by a number of people outlining, this is our idea, this is the direction we'd like to take. Uh, are you interested in this topic and are you willing to help us support it? Now, the IEEE specifically has um, a particular forum called the New Ethernet Applications or NIA space to help with the consensus building of uh, a platform, a forum by which we can air a lot of this information out. If the CFI is successful, the group will move into the next phase known as a study group. And in the study group, there'll be a lot of investigation and agreeing upon the deliverables. In this stage, the output is a PAR, which is known as a project authorization request. It shows the scope of what is, is and is not within the realms of the project. And they also produce documentation called the Criteria for Standards Development that has a number of different aspects, such broad market potential, technical feasibility, economic feasibility, compatibility, et cetera. And then we have the true requirements which in our in IEEE nomenclature is objectives. And can the objectives then talk about this particular signaling rate or this particular kind of uh, media, whether that's copper cable or a backplane or optical fiber and how far it has to go, just high level goals, if you will. And if the study group produces all of this documentation and the documentation has the support, then it moves into task force. And task force is really where a lot of the hard work of engineering analysis and debate occurs. It's exploring different architectures, exploring different solutions, different approaches, going and writing them down 
uh, in the document, peer review, discussion, debate, and refining is needed with the eventually there being a publication of the specification, the output, okay, the work is done. And so it's a matter of bringing people together from a variety of different uh, diverse inputs from different backgrounds and weaving together a specification that will make the best industry-wide solution for all the users. Oh, it's interesting. So what is the role of IEEE in defining these standards? IEEE specifically defines Ethernet. IEEE 802.3 defines wired Ethernet. However, there's a lot of other adjacent industry bodies that develop similar specifications for different networking applications and use cases. That may include uh, InfiniBand, Fiber Channel, OIF, PCI Express, other. There's a lot of different other industry bodies that do a lot of work similar to the IEEE 802.3, but it's IEEE 802.3 that defines Ethernet specifically. And in the process of defining and developing these standards, there's different aspects that come from different networking industry development organizations, such as InfiniBand, Fiber Channel, et cetera. And there, there's complementary yet distinct identities. It requires a lot of cross-industry collaboration that is essential to form a robust ecosystem of suppliers, implementers, end users, operators, etc. And IEEE and Ethernet is more than just a CERTES specification. And I'll compare and contrast that for, for just a moment. When we talk about Ethernet, Ethernet consists of an Ethernet frame and the logic that's comprised of it. And it consists of physical layer technologies and physical layer specifications, which consist of things like a PCS, which is a physical coding sublayer that's dealing with logic, a PMA, physical media attachment, dealing with logic, FEC, forward error correction, which deals with logic, as well as a lot of optical and electrical specifications, which in IEEE nomenclature are PMDs. Some of these other adjacent organizations deal with different pieces of logic or slightly different electrical and optical specifications, but I will say there's a fair amount of cognizant awareness among all the participants to build something that isn't too distinct from the rest, but quite similar, such that all of industry and all of the world can leverage these investments and applications and maximize the synergy. And in Ethernet specifically, I'll be focused on high-speed serial Ethernet, which is different from, say, twisted pair. And in the high-speed Ethernet space, there's a couple different kinds of interfaces that we develop and consider. And I'll break them down into two basic classes, which is electrical and optical. When we talk about optical, we're talking about optical interfaces and connections done over multi-mode fiber or fiber. And they have a variety of reaches from 50 meter, 100 meter, 500 meter, two kilometer, 10 kilometer and up. There's a lot of different reaches 
in the optical space. On the electrical side, we have different kinds of media such as backplane, passive copper cable, chip to module, chip to chip, and I'll talk about those in just a second. It, th those different interfaces have a variety of reaches depending on the signaling rate in their particular application. And a question that I typically get is, well, what is different between IEEE and, and what is, say, done in OIF, for example? Well, IEEE is dealing specifically with Ethernet, whereas OIF is focused on optical protocol and electrical implementation agreements, dealing more with individual pieces of it rather than the whole solution together. As an example of how this work is collaborative or aligned in industry, let's just take a, a look at uh, some work going on in the IEEE as well as OIF. Both of these groups are looking at 200 gig per lane signaling. The rate is a little bit different in Ethernet uh, versus in OIF, but they use a lot of the same um, application spaces and um, reaches. So for example, in OIF, the electrical interfaces are centered on a rate and a reach. We talk about XSR, which is a short connection on side of a die, XSR plus, which is a sort short connection to something just off the die and package. Uh, VSR, MR, LR, LR being long range, VSR being very short reach. There's a couple different nomenclature for those. Whereas in the IEEE, the nomenclature and the focus is on electrical interfaces for a rate and a type, such as backplane, passive copper cable, an interface to a pluggable module known as chip to module, or an interface to a retimer, such as known as chip to chip. And while this sounds like a lot, we can really boil it down to these things being very similar. For example, in the OIF, the term VSR is roughly equivalent to the IEEE's nomenclature and specifications for chip to module and chip to chip. In the OIF, we use the term LR or long reach, which is roughly equivalent to the IEEE for CR and KR, so CR being passive copper cable, KR being backplane. Uh, there's no real equivalent specification for XSR and XSR plus. So as you can see, Daniel, there's a connection between the IEEE as well as InfiniBand, Fiber Channel, OIF, which happened to be the example that I've chosen that shows that there's a lot of similarity yet a lot of differences. It just happens to be that the IEEE 802.3 is focused specifically on wired Ethernet. Understood, yeah, great description. Uh, a question for you, Priyank. Um, where will the 1.6 and the 800 uh, gigabyte uh, technologies be used, you know, in your experience? What are you seeing? I'm sure not, they're not gonna be used for everything, right? That's correct. High performance compute is clearly the first adopter and the promoter of next generation data rates. The HPC compute clusters are the workhorse behind all web delivered application. We talk so much about this chat GPT these days. Uh, the chat GPT is trained on HPC cluster and every query you make to chat GPT, it gets processed into eight GPUs. So you need to have a network of these GPUs and these are, needs to be connected in a way which is efficient. 
So the throughput of this kind of high performance compute cluster depends on the processing power, availability to the memory of this processing uh, engines, and the efficiency of the interconnect. So development in all these three aspects enable the next generation of HPC throughput. So today there is a predictable roadmap for increasing processor power. There are examples of few companies which have come up with a product that integrate 128 cores in, in a single chip solution. And those cores can be extended for the next generation. So that addresses the first processing power uh, aspect. Second is access to the memory. And CXL has addressed this cache coherency across processor and has provided a predictable roadmap that in future generation, CXL will ensure that the memory is available to the processors. We have CXL 2.0 and CXL 3.0 is coming around. The final piece here is the efficiency of the interconnect. And that's where 1.6 terabit ethernet will provide the next performance boost. In this network, the pivotal piece in this network architecture is the class switch. This is the switch that connects all this compute resources. That compute resource could be a GPU, accelerator, or a processor. And industry has provided a predictable roadmap. So 25.6 terabit switch was launched in 2020. And the next generation of that switch, which is 50 terabit switch, was announced last year. And that 50 terabit switch uh, allows 64 ports of 800 gig ethernet. So with this tandem, it's expected that 102 terabit switch will hit the market in, let's say end of 24 or early 25. So once this switch becomes available, the other network aspects have also to be made available at that time. So switch typically interfaces with optical module and there are different optical modules. So there are IMDD, intensity modulation, direct detect, which is PAM4 type of optics. So those kind of optical modules need to be made available at that time. And also coherent. Earlier with 400 gig ethernet, coherent was used in 80 kilometer kind of network. But with 800 gig or 1.6 terabit ethernet, there are talks of coherent light and coherent will be used for 10 kilometer link. So we are seeing a lot of design starts for such optical module. So accelerator to accelerator network, optical modules, retimer, active copper cable driver. So those are the designs we are starting to see, uh, which has started now and I expect it to hit the market by end of 24 or 25. Oh, great. So Kent, um, what's your view? What's happening with the technology today? I'll talk about 1.6 terabit ethernet and 800 gigabit ethernet specifically. And that there's a lot of action, a lot of excitement, a lot of progress happening in this space today. In the IEEE, there are two projects looking at 800 gigabit ethernet. One of them is the 802.3DF project focused on eight lane 800 gigabit ethernet. And then there's a second project task force known as 802.3DJ that's looking at 200G per lane CERTES and one, two, four, and eight lane applications. And that's what gets us the 200, 400, 800 gigabit ethernet as well as 1.6 terabit. For the 802.3DF 800 gigabit ethernet, 
what I can see is they're in the middle of the working group ballot process that was described uh, above. Reviewing the draft, making comments, deciding on changes. There's a lot of work progressing in that space. For 802.3 DJ, it's earlier in the process, not yet at the point of having a draft specification. There's a lot of work going on in selecting baseline proposals to satisfy the objectives and requirements, uh, evaluating the PCS and the FEC combinations, looking at their interaction with the optical and electrical interfaces and the media, trying to address a comprehensive solution that works well together. There's a lot of different approaches being explored in evaluating trade-offs, looking at FEC choices and capabilities and its impact on the optics and the electrical interfaces as well. A lot of different pieces coming together. We're in the midst of, let's say, the uh, storming and forming stage in this particular project. The OIF as well appears to be working on approaches to 224G, uh, VSR, LR, and the other interfaces, really bringing all the pieces together so that the specifications can be written and released to industry that will enable those applications that Priyank talked about a few minutes ago. Interesting. So Priyank, how are the first adopters implementing systems that are being designed today and will be expected to work with you know, a standard that will be ratified maybe in the distant future? It's a great question, and this is where IEEE and OIF serve the industry. That's the place where all the system vendors come together and they share information about the channels uh, or the products which will come about in due course. So today, IEEE has a channel library. So all this Ethernet in electrical domain uh, happens over channels. So it could be a backplane, it could be copper cable, or it could be a chip-to-chip -chip connection. So today at IEEE 802.3DJ, you can uh, find different channel models and system vendors, uh, for example, SERDES providers have a model of their SERDES. And these models, SERDES models, are simulated with the channels which will be a representation of the product that will hit in the market, uh, let's say 2025. So this system simulations give an understanding of the margins the designs would have. And then early adopters or enablers uh, do some test chip tape outs and demonstrate those. So both Intel and Synopsys have demonstrated publicly 224 gig 30s and that performance, silicon performance, is correlated with the system model. So this gives the adopters confidence that this design uh, would have margin. For example, taking specific case of backplane channel. So today at IEEE, there are talks that the channel loss would be, let's say, 40 dB. But with system simulation model, you can add a lot of digital signal processing techniques and show that you still have enough margin. So you design today with margin and you follow the spec uh, development and that's how you, you are sure that the systems will work together. So as I was mentioning, we demonstrated our 224 gig at uh, ECOC, which is European Conference on Optical Communication, DesignCon and TSMC Symposium. And at this places, we start working with 
other uh, interoperability with other vendors. For example, we have started working with connector guys. We have started working with directed edge copper guys. So this ensures that whenever the standards come about, you, you get silicon, which is ready to meet that performance. And uh, Kent can add more color to this, but the base spec defines a lot of choices, which is sort of aligned between the spec writers or uh, ecosystem. So we are expecting that to happen for 200 gig electrical by November. So all the system performance are factored into the designs which, which we'll be taping out next year. Oh, great. Uh, final thoughts, Kent? Yes, Daniel. We're at a big inflection point in industry with 1.6 terabit ethernet and 800 gig of ethernet and all of the 200 gig surties development that's coming. Many different assumptions that have been closely held in the past are being challenged. And Priyank talked about that, the challenges in the channel design and the margin and the connector and the media and being able to go and challenge those assumptions through the development of test chips and demonstrating them and showing all the interoperability. This is a big inflection point and the challenge for industry moving forward is to look at the assumptions, revisit them and determine if they still apply or not and bring those revised expectations into the development of the standard. Great. Thank you, gentlemen. Excellent conversation. And I appreciate your time. And hopefully we can speak again and get another update uh, next year. Yeah, thank you, Daniel, for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you. Just great talking with you. That concludes our podcast. Thank you all for listening and have a great day. Thank you.